Chapman, and welcome to Chatter That Matters. In this age of noise, I cut through the chaos and the confusion to focus on what matters most to your life, your career, your community, and our planet. At the beginning of every podcast, I ask an essential question, and then together, we go on a quest to mine for insights and identify the big ideas that will help you get to where you need to go. Have you ever had to make a major career transformation, that pivot, finding the new path in life? Sometimes it's planned, but more often than not, we're forced to react quickly to changing circumstance. How do you find the courage, the conviction? What steps do you need to take to blaze that new path forward? Well, in this episode of Chatter That Matters, I interview Jean-Francois Archambault, and his career transformation is absolutely remarkable, and one that's benefiting tens of thousands of people every day. See, Jean-Francois was this rising star in hospitality and stopped to instead focus his life, to devote his life to feeding the homeless and teaching people struggling to get by to get their most out of their food dollars. What Jean-Francois shares is a a remarkable story, an emotional story, but it's also one packed with insights and ideas for anyone when we choose to or are forced to find that new path forward. Jean-Francois Archambault, one that matters. Growing up, food was such a big influence. Reading about your story, and you talk about what your mom did to have you fall in love with food, and what, how your dad's profession sort of introduced you to the whole concept of hospitality. Tell us a little more. So uh, the other day I was looking uh, around pictures and I saw a picture of me at uh, uh, 11, uh, 18 months with a mouthful of cookies. Um, so I think it was just as I was coming out in this world, it started, uh, I, I was a foodie already. So um, my mom was a great home cook and I always say that the uh, I, I didn't want to come back from school to play with uh, my friends in the street. I wanted to know what my mom was cooking. And I was the first thing I would want to do is come into the kitchen and smell and, uh, you know, realize what she had uh, cooked for us tonight. So uh, and slowly but surely started uh, putting my fingers in the plates and trying to help and learning how to cook, uh, you know, year after year. And then my father was the legal advisor to all the chefs in the province for 25 years. So growing up, he had a gastro- gastronomical club. And so I, I, I kind of fell in like Obelix and uh, uh, the only thing is I can taste it again you know Obelix can't but uh, I can have a mouthful of, uh, of, of this and uh, and that's that's how my relationship with food got me to to understand that not everybody has that chance. Well, that's fantastic and then I want to take us forward to the year 2000 where circumstance conviction and courage collided. First I want to talk about what were you doing for a living and what did you observe happening in hospitality that just seemed to constantly drive you crazy? So for me, uh, we never we never lack food. We never we were never in shortage of food at home. We always had uh, the pantry full, and we could choose whatever pretty much we wanted to eat. And so, um, working in the hospitality, starting to work in the hospitality, just out of school, seeing all the food come back to the kitchen untouched, really good edible food to eat, uh, becoming waste just like that, you know, in a split second, food that 
should have and could have been recovered uh, to feed the many thousands of people we knew just outside in the city that would need that food. So for me, it didn't, it, it didn't make sense to see all of that uh, happening right in front of my eyes without, without me doing, uh, doing anything about it, you know? And so uh, I think that I really wanted to understand why that was happening And I wanted to, uh, I was starting to think how we could do something about this. And if it was generalized, if, if this was happening all over the place, um, it should be something that we'd, we'd all be working on. So you, so you saw this waste going in and at the same time, you're d dealing with another battle because that wonderful mom that taught you to cook and fell in love with the kitchen after a 10 year battle with cancer, she died that year. And you, and you talked about it in your TED talk It was a defining moment because suddenly you realized time mattered. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I'd been thinking about this project, this social project around food waste uh, back in 1997. So for three years, you know, out, just out of school, into the industry, working three years in the hotel at the Chateau Vaudreuil in the West Island of Montreal, huge banquet facilities and uh, looking at all that food and feeling I could not do anything about it and really, you know, uh, then work, then went to work at the Fairmont Tremblant. Uh, and at, at that period, my mom was in back in the hospital for bone marrow transplant. And, and that's when she uh, got told by the oncologist that she could not go through the bone marrow transplant and that that was the end. So she let herself go uh, for that last couple of weeks. And she died, unfortunately, in May of 2000. That's where I started working at the Fairmont Tremblant. And when I unwrapped my stuff in Tremblant, I left home that, that, that time also. I, I took an apartment for the first time, leaving my dad with my younger brother. And um, it was hard because I wanted her to see my first apartment. And there's all those things going through your mind. And um, when you arrive at your desk and you see all those boxes and you unwrap everything and you realize that you could have a very powerful program a powerful action that could change something that's that doesn't make sense you just you just think that she she died at 49 she didn't decide to die to die at 49 obviously she was uh the person with the most empathy in the world you can think about she think about everybody before she think about her and so she was needed in this world So when you think about this, you say, okay, when do we really make a difference is when you put these things in action. So instead of just looking at those in pictures and ideas and thoughts, I decided to act on it. So it kind of, she, came, she kind of kicked me in the butt and say, let's, let's do this, you know, while you're still here because you're you, not your next, but it could happen to you anytime. And if it's just a, a, a thought It's going to stay a thought. And if something happens to me, it's never going to be done. How important do you think it is for people? Because I think everybody has an idea for social enterprise or giving back or doing more. But we don't always act on it. We might write a check. We might attend something. But you actually decided to do a massive career pivot and say, this would be my life. Do you think that, 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 that in some ways that was the gift your mom left you? There's a sense of do it. If you're going to do it, do it now. She, she knew, I think she knew I had the leadership to lead in actions. Um, I think that we need all sorts of, of actions. We need volunteers. We need single actions. We need repetitive actions. We need 
We need uh, people to to organize the the ecosystem of, of charity and and of social giving and of, of empathy. Um, not everybody will be able to give the same way. Some people will write checks, and that will be the best they will do. And you know what? We'll take it because mm-hmm. we need to fund these actions. So if if that is the case of the people, that that what they can do is. The idea is to do the best you can when you can. And so when you feel that you're able to act, if it's writing a check, then do it. If it's taking two days of volunteer work with all your team and go help a food bank, do it. You know, The, the message is not wait. is act upon your thoughts and really put it into action, either in writing a check or in spending a day to help uh, someone that needs it. So, so your, your mission initially was to let's recover this food waste and, and feed the needy. And you aim pretty big. You're first, you get the Bell Center in Montreal as one of the first people to buy into this. That's aiming pretty high. How, what gave you the courage to go in there and say, this might just be an idea, but this is an idea we can make work? So that, that's where the luck uh, component comes in. I think that when you, when you start a project, you, you always, you, 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 you really try to make things, uh, try to organize things as best as you can. Um, and then you have the luck dimension. And for me, the luck dimension was having Pierre Boivin, the by then president of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, on my uh, charity campaign, fundraising campaign. And he heard about the program and he knew there was a problem at the Bell Center. So it's a, all a, 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 t- a question of timing. And so Pierre said, I want a JF in my office. And so it came to me. I didn't. I was not pursuing that. And I always say to young business people, you know, when you do your business plan, you when you go to the bank and you want funding, you'll you'll put that in the fifth year, maybe that you'll get that type of of client or or partner. Uh, I got it on the first day. So um, it really triggered something very strong because when you realize that you're working a full-time job with Marriott, opening hotels, and you're coming out of the Bell Center, and, and it works, it, 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 gives you the, it gives you the, uh, the, the capacity to think that, that, that you can make it happen. And that, that's the time that you need to make the big change. So going deeper and changing and jumping full, full, full hand in, in that project. So leaving my job and jumping in full time in that project. But landing a whale the size of the Bell Center when you arguably have a penknife in your hand because you're just starting off, that also presents some problems too because you've got you to act and you've got to get people lined up and you've got to get people to move. So I mean, what was your strategy for doing that? Um, I knew how I, I knew how to connect people. I'm that's what I'm good at: connecting people, making people work together. Even people that didn't think they would work together, uh, I, I I connect the the people that don't agree or disagree. Or I always I would I'm, I'm always good at at creating bridges uh, and connections. So it was about creating connections. So looking at the Bell Center, saying there's a lot of food that's wasted. Who needs it the most around the Bell Center? And that's just uh, going into the community organization ecosystem, identifying the key organization that could um, operate, uh, operate that kind of recovery and go to them and ask them if they were willing to, to embark in this journey with us. So the pieces were already there. It was just a matter of putting them together. So the next question I have is that you've got this incredible North Star about food recovery, feeding the needy, 
But at the same time, you add a whole new dimension to it, which is a sense of culinary education that we're going to teach. We're going to teach children about food and cooking and 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 what's right. Bringing that in is that not a distraction, or did you think that was an essential part of this mission you're on? I think that uh, when I was uh, on the executive board of the Montreal Food Bank, I realized there was a, a a need for food right now to to help people that needed food and want, needed to eat right away, and that recovered food could could really uh, provide that. On the other side, there was a there was a study that came out of public health, both in Quebec and in Canada, on the loss of culinary knowledge and skills. So imagine when when you think about the people that have the smallest or tightest budget to feed their family, they should be the best skilled to do it. They should be the ones with the highest level of skills uh, and, 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 and knowledge to be able to handle that type of budget, to know what to do and, and create more food with less, more feed the more mouths with the less food yeah. and so um that was not the case and so after that my thought was i'm already embarked the chefs in this journey of food recovery who has the most knowledge and skills the chefs so they're already there so and the chefs are passionate about what they do so why don't we bring back those chefs in the, in the high schools before it's too late and transfer as much knowledge and skills to that generation, that next generation, and and kind of say let's 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 really contaminate positively on that, and get that that level of, of skills and knowledge higher, so that they will not have to depend on food banks, or if they do and they get that bag of, of groceries for free, or at some point in their life, they'll know what to do with it, and they'll maximize the content of that bag. And so for me, it's about giving the tools. And so that for me was prevention. And I knew that with the same people, the chefs and the cooks, I could, I could really uh, push it for, forward to, to kind of create something even more sustainable. And then one of the things that you talked about in your TED Talk, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage everybody to watch it. You talk about also when you dealt with some of these kids that have been broken homes and abused and never had a pat on the shoulder or a hug, suddenly teaching them to make something with a simple recipe and the smile in their face when they know they created something. That must be one of the most magical things for your chefs to see happen. That, that speaks for itself. Uh, it's okay, it's okay. That's magic. Like... A kid that has a very little self-esteem, um, they get a pan out of cookies, like simplest recipes, just to know they can do it. And uh, I've had the the most uh, troubled kids uh, for the last uh, 12 years that didn't think they could make anything and were told that they can do nothing, um, and they were poor at, at anything. And you see them coming into the kitchen and discovering who they are and discovering what they can do. And, you know, when you look at feeding yourself, it's, you can't, you can't go more basic than that. You have to do that in Canada, imagine. So we have to do this. It's not a matter of, of if or if of why it's, 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 we have to do this. And I can tell you that there's, there's, there's not enough people doing this. So it's, it's about us making a difference, do what we have to do 
connecting as many chefs as we can with these these teenagers. And look, look at our industry. We're missing cooks. We're, there's a shortage of, of cooks and of qualified people. These kids, when they connect with food, they will be the best of cooks. They will stay because they will hang on to whatever they can to create something better for themselves. So before going to migrants, or I, we have to because we have no choice, but I think there's an opportunity there to get youth, these troubled youth, Uh, hooked up on the, on this uh, on this opportunity of connecting them with food, and I've seen it firsthand, and it's really magical when you connect these kids with their capacity. And we're not going to change everything in their life, their consumptions of drugs and alcohol, but at least we'll create something positive that will that will create a, a breach. And we can, you know, you always start with that, and then after that, it it kind of filters in and. And it gets to their heart, and I've seen it firsthand, so I know that we have to do more of this. So you, you, you've, you've taken this idea, and it's, and it's populating every corner of the province of Quebec. You've taken it to Vancouver, Calgary, moving it to Toronto. But you're recently at a conference where your, your ambitions are now saying, why can't all of North America, Central America, South America embody on the same journey of recovering food, feeding the needy, and teaching the, the next generation the importance of getting more with less. Do you think that that mission is possible? That's going to happen? I think that we can definitely make it happen in our country, in Canada, and sc scaling this across the country, uh, coast to coast, and, and getting, getting a lot of schools and getting a lot of food recovered through, through the help of our, our community partners all across Canada. I think that in France, they're, they're well started also in France, Uh, on the same model, but they're independent. So I, I'm not there all the time. I can't run that operation. So I think that it's a model that's pretty simple. It's a model that can be taught. It's a model that can be mentored. It can be coached. So anybody that has the willingness and the passion that I have in any part, in any country, not just Central, South, or North America, anywhere that we can find either existing community organization that want to work on this and we can coach them with the existing content. You know, when you look at uh, my lifetime, like, you know, we have, we can't do this alone. And it's not about selfishness. It's not about what JF will have accomplished in his lifetime. It's about how many people JF will have mentored or coach that can trigger 20 people doing this and not just JF doing it. So now it's about transferring that knowledge, that skills at another level of leadership in leading these actions and trying to say, you know what, you can start La Table des Chefs and, 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 and work on, that's the beauty of social, you can copy, you can, you can take whatever is best and share best practice and, and do it. So there are existing organizations doing this I think we provide best practice and we can really um, take organization to the next level on this, but we all have to work together. I think we have to work more together these days because when you look at what we've accomplished um, on the social sector in trying to solve our uh, terrible issues uh, and, and, and challenges we face, we haven't been successful in, in, in accomplishing the impact that we all hope for so we we have to work together as as a, as a whole and stop 
working in silo and really say, you work on this. If you need help, you let me know. You work on this. You're going to work on this. And second harvest, you're going to work on this. And I, I, will, I will come and take that part and I'll, I'll do it best. So it's, it's, there's no one organization that will make it all happen. It's impossible. Here in Toronto, you have the stop, you have Second Harvest, you have Food Share, you have, you have uh, the Daily Bread, you have all these organizations with amazing people that have the willingness to volunteer and change the world. But if we don't talk to each other and we don't support each other, um, we will all work on the, our little thing and we won't, we won't change things for good. So I think that on top of just accomplishing our work every day and concentrating on give, sending out that impact and creating that impact, we have to look at how we can help each other on the more, um, on the, on the more um, conversational side of things on our government, on our municipalities, uh, on the city side, on all the different lever that can either fund us better and create a global strategy because when you look at food waste uh, and you think that everybody all of a sudden would give all the food that there is to donate, the community sector cannot handle that food. So it would not be a good news right now that everybody would donate. Imagine, can you imagine that? Mm. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. You'd ask, uh, you'd ask uh, Lori Nichol, she'd, she'd tell you, she, she, she would organize herself to handle as, but as much as she can. And in Montreal, with the Montreal Food Bank, the same thing. So we need to have the conversation not just amongst ourselves, but with the corporations, with the governments, and create a global strategy. If not, we're all going to continue our little work we're going to do great. We're going to do good, but we're not going to change things. So what's your future? Am I going to be voting for you one day? <laughs> I think we can influence them more on, on this side of the fence. Than the other. You know, I think that the true leadership is getting them elected and they can take whatever credit they want for pushing the laws and regulations for making things better for us to change the world. But you'll do the Because pushing. I think we... We are better at leading that side of things than they are. Yeah. And they just have to understand that they cannot be the operating uh, side of things. They will be the, the leaders and they will be the influencers. And we will advocate for them to create these laws and regulation that will help us to, to change things. But I think the, the, I think the community sector is best, uh, is best to handle the, the operating side of these things and keeping cost-effective. So, JF, I got to believe your mom's looking down and she's real proud of the son she's created. She's, thank you for joining me. She's here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the three things I learned talking with Jean-Francois today. First is your North Star. Follow what matters most to you and one that gives you purpose. When you do that, North Star will not only light your path, it'll fuel your journey. Two, parents are the bedrock of what we build and become. His mom teaching him to cook, her values, and then losing her at such an impressionable age. His dad teaching him about chefs and life. All of these fuse together to, to give him that sense of that he could do it. And finally, speaking of do it, what I like about Jean-Francois is his comment about just do it. Jump in and figure it out. Make mistakes, fix them, try different things. Don't stop believing. Here's someone I'll never stop believing in, Jean-Francois Archambault. 
someone that mattered on Chatter That Matters. You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with Tony on Twitter at Tony Chapman, through LinkedIn at Tony Chapman Reactions, or visit his website, TonyChapmanReactions.com. Chatter That Matters is produced by Tony Chapman Reactions and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford. <laughs>